The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Behavioral Corner podcast about everything, because that's what affects our behavioral health, everything. So uh, we we get together weekly and try to pull together some interesting uh, insights and people that can help us flesh all this out so that we might get well, all of us, which is the goal, right? Uh, it's all made possible by our underwriter partners, uh, Retreat Behavioral Health. You'll hear more about them ahead. Actually, hear a little bit about them at the beginning because every so often they will, uh, we will rely upon them for some of their people who are among the best in their field to talk about some of the issues here on the Behavioral Corner. We welcome back for a second time Real, a real friend of the program, the podcast. Ben Chapman is with us. Ben is in the uh, West Palm Beach, Florida operations, the headquarters of Retreat, where he is the uh, practices manager. And he, as I said, has been a guest before. We bring him back today for two reasons. We're going to flesh out a little bit more of the topic we originally talked to him about. And we're also bringing him back on the occasion of his anniversary of seven, count them, seven years sober. Ben, welcome back to the show. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again. Seven years is, you know, seven years is nice. I mean, good for you. That's great. Um, So, so, you know, before we get any further, I mean, we talk about, you know, sobriety a lot here and recovery. And, you know, it's probably better than most people that, you know, you're never done being sober. You know what I mean? You're sober for the rest of your life. But at some point, doesn't it feel like, in terms of your sobriety, for instance, seven years is a long time. I dare say you're getting closer to the number of years you were sober. Have you surpassed the number of years you were a substance abuse sufferer? We're getting there. We're roughly around eight okay. to ten. That will be right the sweet part. Right okay. There. So, I mean, I've talked to people who are, you know, 20 years into their sobriety. They were only using for 10, you know, 15 years is only, you know, it's a hell of a time, but they're now sober longer than they were abusing substances. Does it feel like that to you that you've passed some threshold and it's all downhill, you know, you know, it's all peaches and cream from here, or is it an everyday thing? There's parts of you that uh, when you get to a certain year time, AA teaches you that you get your marbles back. Uh, but I definitely believe for each individual, it's their own journey. Uh, for myself, right around five years was the sweet part where I was like, okay, I hit a goal and now life is becoming normalized again. But like you said, it's an everyday thing that yeah. I remind myself of. It is worth noting because I think it can be helpful for people, correct me if I'm wrong, that during those periods of time before you get to that sweet spot, five years or whatever it is for you, you got to wake up every day knowing, okay, I got to get through this day, but there's that. You know, the doubt, the, sometimes the urges are stronger than others. As you accumulate time, it would seem that those things become less critical. And that and here's the thing I think people need to know about sobriety and, it's, and, and making it last. The longer it lasts, the stronger it gets. Is that true? 
Absolutely. The what I found in my recovery and what I share with the patients is uh, at I think it was five years, six years. I went to my sister's uh, after the wedding party, and that was the first time in my six years at the time of sobriety that I felt anxieties of not wanting to drink, but being around drinking. And that's six years into it. So I mm-hmm. think regardless of how much time you have, it's those bigger moments that we have to be more aware of than the everyday um, ins and outs of life. I have every confidence that you're going to wake up one morning and go, wow, I'm uh, I'm sober twice as long as I was uh, abusing. So good, good for you. I know that from your previous visit that among the many uh, methods that you availed yourself to in order to get ultimately sober, uh, music played a central uh, role. Let's go back down there again and flesh it out a little more. When you were using, what was your relationship to music? When when you were uh, when you were in active substance abuse, what was your relationship to music, if any? So for myself, as uh, the way I grew up was in a very uh, Caucasian area, so I myself turned to more hip hop, more uh, rap music to kind of feel my pain. Um, so my relationship with music and addiction was trying to feel my feelings and looking to other people, other artists to help me describe the pain I was going through. So I think a lot of it was self-discovery in the music. And now that I'm on the other side of sobriety, I can really look back. And that's why I'm here with you today to say, oh, wow, these are the pains and the sufferings I was going through. Mm-hmm. The music was mm-hmm. describing. I didn't know how to say it out loud. Yeah. Your problem was alcohol, right? Yes. Uh, at some point, was the music sort of enabling the behavior? Do you know what I mean? I mean, a hundred percent, right? I mean, yes. Uh, I recently shared with my clients. There's a song that I was playing for them, and at four o'clock in the morning, uh, like any good alcoholic, I would be sitting on my porch drinking, listening to sad songs about drinking. But not, but not in any way to get better, just to have some misery loves company, yep. right? Yep, 100%. Just say, oh, you feel this pain. I feel this pain. Let's keep in the pain and not look past the pain. Is there an example of that? I mean, I know we talked uh, earlier about uh, Dear Alcohol, the, the uh, song by Dax. Is that is that the kind of thing you had in mind? So the song back then for those times, it was called, uh, it was from Love and Theft, um, Whiskey on My Breath. And the synopsis of the song is essentially uh, not wanting to meet our creator in a drunken state and the fears and worries of individuals that we have of, you know, passing on and not being able to be the best person we could be. When you, uh, I know that this is, uh, you, you deeply mean this when you talk about music saved you, helped, helped you get sober. Um, we know music is in a, it, it, it has an enormous power over it. It triggers memories. It uh, it soothes us. It makes us happy. You're right. It can make you sad. Uh, and as a therapy, we know that music therapy is a real thing and is widely employed. So it seems to me like you're saying you had a relationship when you were uh, drinking very heavily and music was sort of your partner there. You guys were getting loaded together, more or less. And then it begins to transition into a more... Um, when you start to realize you have a problem, did you then start looking for songs that maybe could help you figure out what the problem was? Absolutely. Uh, the last song I listened to before I went into inpatient in May of 2016 uh, was from an artist named Hobson. The song was called Fly. Um, and it was one of those moments where I heard that song and it was just at the right time in my life where I was moving to a new stage in my life. 
And that's when I realized, and I still listen to that song when I'm in moments where I need clarity, that I realized music can play a bigger part in my sobriety than just something I'm afraid of, mm-hmm. but something I can look forward to and enjoy and um, embrace myself with. Yeah, before you got to that point where music became a uh, a therapy, um, was it ever a trigger for you? Were, were, the, was there, were the music that made you drink? I think the music for myself was more of an allowance to feel the the things I was going through. Uh, rap music back in the day was definitely a lot more predicated to drinking, doing you know drugs. Mm-hmm. And by putting that on, it made me feel like I was part of that culture and allowed me to hide behind the music and the emotions that went into the music and the um, going to the clubs and everything. You fit in with the music. Now, when you step back from it, it's, oh, I don't want to be that person anymore. Music, when you think about it, has a um, somewhat unfortunate connection to alcohol because of the context in which we hear it. I mean, yeah, we hear it on the car radio and when we're at home, but we also hear it at, at events. We hear it at concerts. We hear it in bars. It can trigger people, right? Oh, 100%. Music is something. I even tell clients to this day, you know, when they first come out, I said, what do you, what's the music you listen to? And I work with them to kind of change that. Because like you said, if we're living in our past and our music's still in our past, then all we're feeding ourselves is negative information, negative thoughts of things that we're trying to move beyond. Ben Chapman is our guest. Ben is with Retreat Behavioral Health in uh, their West Palm facility. He's talking about his sobriety, which is uh, right now reached seven uh, successful years. And the effect music had, both when he was using, uh, when he decided to... Uh, get sober and how it continues to shape his uh, his outlook on a lot of things and the advice he gives other people. We're going to take a second or to listen to a song you told me uh, meant a lot to you and have you talk about it. This is called uh, Dear Alcohol by uh, Dax. Let's take a moment and listen to that. Repeat the cycle every day. I got to start with a drink. My life been getting sort of crazy and I don't want to think. I look myself right in the mirror and I don't even blink. Then I get angry, take the rest and pour it right in the sink. I know where this road goes. Alcohol ain't my friend, but I keep drinking because these demons roam and follow me around everywhere I go. It clouds my mind and soul. It turns my heart cold. But I keep drinking because it makes me feel like I'm not alone. You know, that's pretty straightforward. That's a guy who knows he's got a problem. When did you first hear that? Under what circumstances? So funny enough, we were on, uh, my wife and I were on a cruise to Honduras, where I'm adopted from for the first time in my life going back. Um, And as everyone knows, on the cruise ship, you have no service. And for a glimmer of time, I had service on YouTube and the song came out and I listened to it and from that moment i first heard it i ran and found my wife on the cruise ship and i said this is going to change people's lives in the world it was the first time i ever heard a song describe what an alcoholic no matter your age your race um what they go through in such a simple and pure way that made me feel connected to something for the first time were you sober at the time you first heard it yes yep so this was a reinforcement for you this was a hallelujah somebody finally put into words the pain and suffering we all been through and then yeah. now we can see it it's amazing the power of art in general but certainly music powerfully to take something that you feel but can't articulate and then suddenly it's a revelation when you go oh, oh that's exactly what it feels that's exactly what i'm thinking we've all had that experience 
the difference is that it can change people. It's what you believe. Absolutely. It, uh, right away when we got back on stateside, I sent it to my mother and I asked her to please listen to it. And it was the first time my mom ever understood what alcoholism was in her son. Yeah, you know, that that's interesting as well. So it not only helped you, and you believe it not only will help people who are abusing substances, alcohol in particular, but that it can help explain to your loved ones what you were going through. Absolutely. In a clear and honest way that is not um, in any way demeaning of what alcoholics do to hide themselves, but just a straightforward, I need help just like everybody else. And this is the pain I'm going through. Very simple and cut and dry. There are uh, all kinds of benefits that might not be immediately apparent. I mean, certainly music can reduce stress. It can affect our mood. But one of the things I was surprised to read was that it, it doesn't necessarily have to change your mood, but it can help you manage your mood. What does that mean to you? So for myself, I use music as a big part of in our office as a precursor to your therapy. We have a lot of patients come in who are younger, a lot of veterans, and I try to put music on to get them in the mood of maybe going back in their life and saying, oh, I like that song when I was listening to in the 90s and letting them start feeling emotions before going into therapy. Because like you said, music will unlock things for us. We may not know when, but I always believe just having music in your head, a song in your head will allow you to relate to something around you and opens you up you know, to the, the talk to others. Well, that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. It uh, can be enormously um, helpful, I'm told, in helping to build up social engagement again. We, Absolutely. We, substance abuse isolates us. Were you drinking alone or were you at the end? Were you, were you drinking alone or were you still drinking out in public with a bunch of people? I was drinking alone 90% of my drinking career. Is, uh, is that typical, by the way? Is that Typical of substance abusers that they at the at the at the at the bottom of it all they're doing it privately and alone rather than socially. I think so. I think as we get worse in our addiction, the worse we feel about ourselves, and we recluse because we don't want others to see our pain. At the same time, we can't explain why we're doing the things we're doing, so it's easier to be by yourself and hide. You mentioned your at the, your sister your sister's wedding. It was was your sister's yes. wedding. Uh, there's a social environment that's you know rife with music. It's not a wedding in the world doesn't have a lot of music going on. Um, in in that context and where you were at that time, is there a conflict there? Does the music seem appropriate to the moment? Is it changing the way you feel about your sobriety? What was that like? In that moment, I listened to all my cues from all the amazing therapists I work with. I been in therapy with myself and i knew the signs for myself that my anxiety was kicking in and i knew that the music was loud which was um overloading my senses and the immediate thing i did after i left the wedding is i got in my car and turned on music that i knew would calm me and i went for a two-hour drive so yeah sometimes music you know even if we have a crowded lobby you're turned down because it's anxiety provoking that you can't really listen to what the music's saying it's just background noise Mm-hmm. So I think there is pros and cons to when to listen to music and if you're in a certain headspace. Right, right, exactly. And we know there's plenty of uh, um, evidence to suggest it has a physiological effect on what, what kind of changes in one's body can occur. We've talked about, you know, the psychology of it. Does music lower your blood pressure, for instance? 
I would think so. I know for myself, when I hear a really good song, the hairs on my arms stand up um, and I really just sit back and pause and maybe not under even understanding the motions it's giving me until I listen to it a few times because it was that inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of times, yeah, it can have a calming effect. It can have help lower the blood pressure, help just kind of clear the fog in your head and help realign your thoughts to where you want them to be. Ben, I know you don't, uh, on a day-to-day uh, basis as part of your job, uh, treat people, but you you interact with with patients who are in retreat, and many of them are young, of course. Um, you have the uh, occasion to have conversations with them about just this subject, music, and how it can help? Oh, absolutely. Every new patient that comes into our building here in West Palm, I talk to them about their music. Um, the groups talk to them about the music. The therapists talk to them about it. Um, I really like our office to be one where everybody feels included. So we started, thanks to your suggestion, our own Spotify playlist here. Um, so all the clients can be part of us growing and people growing and their lives changing. Oh, they're, they're, so you're, you're building that list of, yep. of music that means something to them. That's that's uh, that's terrific. Uh, by the way, we're going to put a bunch of this stuff together and put a little playlist that Ben and his, and his guys are going to provide to us. And it'll be on the Spotify on the uh behavioral corner page as well. Uh, ben, with regard to getting, you know, getting the attention, the honest attention of somebody in deep substance abuse trouble, uh, is music a, a faster way to get their attention uh, than it would, you know, I mean, for instance, you had people tell you many, many times, and you knew many, many times that you should stop drinking and it wasn't working. It wasn't working. And then you hear some song. Suddenly the light goes on. Do you believe that event can happen to to anyone? Absolutely. I think if people take time to really understand what the positives of music are, I think you can uh, reallocate the time that you spend listening to music to actually listening to music for the words and the context instead of just the beats and the popularity of the artist so you can fit in with your group. I think at the end of the day, the coolest thing about music um, and what Dax in particular is doing is he's allowing others to join on songs to show their pain and to show their um, recovery roads. Well, it's interesting. Um, You should just describe what I would call as deep listening. Everybody thinks that they hear music. You do hear music unless you're having a hearing problem. You can hear it. But deep listening is another thing. Um. Do you remember when you went beyond the beat, the beat, the beat and started listening to the words or, or because it was hip hop, the words must have come first, right? How's it work? I think when that really hit me is actually with Dax's song that we previously spoke about. Um, because it was so clear in the message, it allowed me to say, oh, I really like this music. And let me look back at my past and the things and struggles I went through and re-listen to those songs. Um, so I myself worked on about three or four songs that I broke apart and inserted my feelings and my emotions through the song as I was listening to it so I could really connect with my feelings. What else does uh, someone's musical taste tell us, particularly in your context? Uh, when someone is at the intake stage coming into a facility, they're asked a lot of questions. Most of them are pretty straightforward medical kinds of questions background stuff. Um, what do you learn? What do you think you can learn from somebody 
when you ask them what kind of music are you listening to? What do you find out when you hear their answer? For myself, usually what I find is the younger kids listening to rap, and you'll ask them, say, where are you from? And a lot of times those clients are never or never will be from these places where these artists are singing about and the pains and sufferings are singing about. So a lot of times it's readjusting those patients' emotions and saying, okay, we all feel depression and anxiety, but you're not living in the eighth ward somewhere. You're living here. So how do we address your feelings and your emotions here instead of pretending you're somewhere else where you're not? You don't have to ever feel that pain, hopefully. So what's address where you're at today? And I, for me, I believe that's changing sometimes the music we listen to to say, you know what? I live in a really well-off area and I'm struggling with depression and anxiety, but I'm not living in this segment of the population and dealing with their pain and struggling. So I can't relate to them. All I'm doing is listening to music to be popular. I think a lot of it is, you know, not following what everyone else does, all the popular music. It's what, what makes you happy? What makes you tear up at night? Um, and I think that's the emotions and the music that helps you. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to avoid what's popular, um, particularly when it's metastasized to the size it has now. I wonder, I mean, this with all due respect, I wonder what's really motivating those people that are spending thousands of dollars to see Bruce Springsteen or Taylor Swift uh, beyond the love of the music. You know, the sense of, you know, being where it's happening and all of that can be a distraction to the benefits of listening to music deeply. Um, as I said, we're going to play some of the stuff that Ben has talked about. It. We'll have a list that his uh, he and his folks put together for us. Uh, but I, I, I just want to sort of swing this back uh, to how someone listening who isn't quite ready for treatment might, 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 might approach this. Is it, do you recommend that it, has to be contemporary music if you're young it has to be young music or can it can it be any kind of music speaking for myself i was blessed to be raised by two parents who listen to 60s 70s music um so for myself i was really blessed to have a wide-ranging um idea of music an idea of my feelings that i could attach them to so i think for anybody i think music in any time period can be eye-opening. I met there's people still listen to Mozart and Beethoven because of the sympathy sympathy mm -hmm. um, and how calming they are. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Well, it, you know, it's a very when you think about it, it's a very mysterious thing that they for, for the you know since the beginning of time, uh, humanity has seemed to, you know, want to make uh rhythms and they want to make music. Um it must fill some deep, deep need. And according to our uh, young guest, Ben Chapman, it, it not only uh, does that in a pleasurable sense, but I think you think music saved your life, right? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think music gave me a second shot at life to actually feel my emotions and feel the things I've been through in life and to finally understand how to explain them to others in a way that's not as scary as opening yourself fully, but allowing the music speak for you. Young people get excited when you talk to them about music? Oh, absolutely. It's fun watching them change the way they look at it and view artists um, and realize that they don't have to necessarily look like that person to feel the things that they've been through. I think that's yeah. the most important in our field is all of us suffer something. You don't have to look like somebody or be like somebody to feel their pain. 
Do you have any advice to give uh, to, say, parents or grandparents who are around uh, younger people who clearly have a substance abuse problem, uh, but their music is part of their life, as most kids are? You know, it's like, turn that down. What's that junk you're listening to? What would you tell parents about the music their kids may be listening to that they're listening to? Should they be listening deeper as well? I think so. I think if you're going to relate to anybody, I think you got to look at all aspects of the things they do. And I think music, um, like we talked about through all this, is the hidden way that a lot of us speak our minds without having to deal with the stressors of questions being brought back to us. It's, hey, this song describes how I feel, listen to it, and allow me to delve deeper into it slowly. It's not scary. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. parents just listen to the songs. Um, and watch your child's emotions and the activities they may be doing listening to those, that music. Um, and you may find a correlation of the friendships of the people. Because at the end of the day, again, just because we listen to music doesn't mean that we are acting like those people where we have those same situations. We have to understand that we got to take the good and the bad from music mm -hmm. and find our own lane with it. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to criticize. Um, and not as productive as uh, trying to understand not so much what they're listening to, but why they're listening to it. Why are they listening to that? Maybe you can learn something about the trouble your kids are in. Anyway, Ben Chapman, congratulations again on seven years of sobriety. Uh, there'll come a time when you'll be the only one that knows how many years it is. And, and we hope it'll be many, many more, obviously. Thanks for joining us on The Corner. And thanks for the uh, Spotify list. You, so you guys have it where? On uh, Retreat site? You can see it? So right now we are uh, updating as groups go on. But we have a TV here where we just share uh, screen share it um, okay. from my phone so that clients can listen to their music all the time that they're here during groups. By the way, you got to do your own show. You got to do a whole show about music hath charms to soothe the savage breast. Ben Chapman, thank you for uh, sharing this time with us. We always uh, enjoy your expertise. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you guys as well. Don't forget to uh, like us, follow us, and subscribe. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. You can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, Apple Tunes, the whole place. See you next time on The Corner. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on the Behavioral Corner. <laughs>